and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why do I always quote Paul Gauguin at the beginning of these podcasts? This is not an art history podcast. I don't actually know. Very excited to talk about our guest today. Before I go ahead and introduce him, I want to make sure we also know who the other panelists are so that their voices don't shock you as we get going. So we have Amanda Kasseri, who is one of our new panelists. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing good, Richard. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for calling in from Vermont, keeping the home fires burning. I'm, of course, calling from Scotland, and I'm Richard Litauer, for those of you who don't know. We also have Ben Nichols, a.k.a. Ben Jam. Ben, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Hello, everyone. Awesome. And our guest today is Alvaro Trigo. So Alvaro works at fullpage.js. That's an open source package that really helps you figure out how to basically make a full page website. It's like one of those cool slidey things where you have something in the middle and it goes the next color, the next color. We're going to talk about that in a bit. What's amazing about Alvaro is that he has managed to actually make this a business. Most open source developers aren't very good at that. It's very sad. One of the things that we're interested in doing because it sustains open source work. So we invited him on partially because he'd already given a podcast on another podcast, Software Engineering Unlocked. And we'll drop the link for that podcast in the show notes. And I just want to give a shout out to Michaela for hosting that podcast with Alberto. And I also saw about that from Kyle Mitchell's website. So giving credit where credit it's due. Kyle Mitchell is an open source lawyer who talks a lot about licensing. And so with all of that context, Alberto, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me here, Richard. I'm doing great. Awesome. Okay. So let's maybe start from the beginning. You're an open source developer and you've been working on fullpage.js. How did that happen? How did that start? Yeah. So Kind of like by accident, I guess. Basically, I was working back then in the UK for a company as a uh, software developer, as a full stack developer. And I had to make a website for the company I was working for at the moment. And they told me that they wanted something looking like a PowerPoint presentation, something very simple. And then I was inspecting a couple of websites here and there. And then I, I found this website that kind of like behaved like slider. And then I thought, oh, it looks cool. So I'm going to do the same. And I did the same. And after doing that, I realized there wasn't any components that I could use to make the process faster. Some kind of like external library or a plugin for jQuery or anything like that. So then I thought, well, this, this looks like a good idea in order to try to practice my jQuery knowledge and try to improve by making something useful for others. And so I started making it just because of that. Cool. So... Let's fast forward a bit. Now it's an open source project. How many other contributors do you have on the project? How many downloads do you get a month? What's the usage stats look like? Well, I don't have the data in my mind right now. I think uh, contributors is more like 120. I think Um, usually they contribute like very little pieces. You are in the open source community, so you know how this works. Regarding downloads, I'm not very sure either because it's difficult to track NPM downloads. I don't know. At some point, I think I reached like 120,000 per week, but I'm not sure how it is now. I haven't checked. And then you have like, I don't know, millions of hits per month on CDMs like JS Deliver and so on. But it's difficult to track all these numbers because there's not really a proper way to measure how many people are using your software. That's true. But it still gives us an idea, right? This is a very popular project. Millions is not what you could say about some of my open source projects. 
zero is what you could say about some of mine. So it's just really cool to know that this has been popular and people have been using it. People have been contributing back. Now, you mentioned you were working previously for a UK company, but I also know that fullpage.js has managed to get you some sort of income. How did that start? Yeah. So I was working on it for free for about three years. And at some point I thought, because I got some emails of people uh, asking me to do some custom modifications to the code. They wanted to do certain things that the, the component was not doing and they wanted me to customize it for them. So I started doing this for some people. And after some time, I noticed that many of them were requesting kind of the same features. Some features that I didn't feel like adding in the main component because they were going to be, well, adding more complexity to it and making the file bigger and not many people were going to be using them. So I thought, well, maybe I, what I can do is just create extensions that people can use and then I can sell them at the much cheaper price. So this way uh, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to deal with clients. I have to send emails to them to communicate. They just go here, they buy it and that's it. And I started doing that, selling extensions. Those extensions are not open source. So they are like additional components to the main library and we have to pay for them in order to use them and they are registered by domain so the more domains you want to use the extension in the more you have to pay you know there are different plans so that's how i started selling it and it was probably after another couple of years when i realized that maybe i could try also to monetize the main components and i was taking a look at some other projects, projects from, I don't know if you guys know DeSandro or DeSandro, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, he created like Mansonry and Flickity and other components that were quite popular back then. He had them under the GPL version three license, and then he was selling a commercial license. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to do the same. And then I did, and it worked pretty well. So combining these two things and later on adding plugins for WordPress and so on is what makes uh, monetization successful in my case. Ever, I'm curious, when you're making the decision to switch from having a job separately that was covered by a different corporation and then kind of turning into your own self-owned business, what are the things you wish you would have known before you made that decision that you know now? Well, perhaps trying to monetize it before, even before because I was for a couple of years by only selling extensions and before that for three years of running it uh, fully free. So maybe I could have tried monetizing it a bit earlier. I wouldn't say since the very beginning because I think providing a free component makes it easier at the beginning because people start talking about it. So you kind of like get free marketing, blogs mention it, people share it on Twitter, people start using it and so on and giving feedback, which is very useful. So I can keep on improving the components or the code and, and so on. So um, apart from that, yeah, maybe not much more. Maybe just the fact that you have to deal with, you know, taxes and all of these things that you, you initially you don't think about it. That's a bit boring to do. That's it. Can I ask, what's the reaction being from within the community on the like open source side? Have you seen an uplift in kind of contributions and activity and so on within the open source project in addition to the work that you've been doing in the extensions? I think where people got a bit more involved at the beginning, because right now there are other, well, I kind of like an alternative to, to the component, which is using directly CSS. So there's a property called CSS snaps or snap CSS, which uh, does something pretty similar. So I think this was a bit more 
like the components catch the attention of more people at the beginning than now. So I haven't seen an uplift in that sense, but I think it was still being relevant and I keep on pushing uh, new features. Um, well, actually right now I'm about to release a major update. Do you have any specific goals for community contributions or like onboarding additional maintainers? So apart from the monetization, I'm curious, like, do you have a specific model you're thinking of when you're thinking about a contributor base? I haven't think too much about it, to be honest. I hired a couple of people back then to, to help me with some parts of the components. So with the React wrapper, with the Angular wrapper, with Vue, but I haven't thought yet about getting somebody fully involved on it. I think the fact that I'm monetizing it doesn't make it easy for people to start contributing on the project for free because it doesn't seem very fair. Like I'm getting money, they're not getting anything. So perhaps the way I have to go about it is just hiring somebody to help me with some parts or, or even to replace me completely if they are better than, than I am. But yeah, I think when you monetize it, the way that the contributors, well, get involved might be a bit different. I'm really curious about that. I mean, there's been research done on that. There's a researcher I know called Yana Galos, who has done some interesting papers on the influence of money in open source and what happens with projects. The direct question I have, which I've often had where people have like a core project and then they have add-ons that are charged, is have you ever seen anyone take an add-on and implement it in open source and then give it away for free? Because that seems like a possibility that could happen at any point. If I didn't want to pay for it, I could just make it myself, slap an MIT license on it, and no one could say anything. That might be a copyright infringement. I don't know if I'm looking at someone else's thing, but I'm just curious if you've ever seen that. Well, so looking a little bit more, I wonder, and not being an open source license expert, I'm not a lawyer cat, right? Me neither. But I wonder whether or not that gets covered by the license that Alvaro chose. So he is releasing under GPL version three. So as a copy left license, when you're using that core open source project, you do have specific obligations to release follow-on work based on that. So I don't know if that was, I guess maybe I just want to add on like, that could have been a decision point for the license choice was to prevent something like that. Well, the way I sell the extensions is whenever they choose to use the extensions, they have to replace the main full page file for another one that is minified. So it makes it a bit more difficult to figure out how to integrate external things on it. So maybe that helped a bit in that regard. I didn't see anybody making something on top of full page and then selling it, but I saw people using the full page to integrate it in WordPress plugins or WordPress themes and selling those. That is quite common, I, I would say. And I think they're able to do that under the GPL terms. So that's totally fine. I kind of feel like without wanting to go, I, I got to be honest, I do want to go, but I'm going to stop myself into full academia mode. That situation that you described, Richard, in which someone doesn't reverse engineer, but takes the exact same functionality and decides to create a version that's openly licensed that can be used with full page, actually pretty much directly in line with the business model here as I see it, right? Because if someone is taking that feature and implementing it in open source, it's because they believe that a broader kind of selection of the users of full page want that feature. So I would actually almost say that it's helping in that situation because the idea is that these 
smaller niche features are what's kind of supporting the project financially. Yeah, of course, there are some people that try to make some uh, similar components. There are a few out there and they are free or they are under MIT. But I guess the main difference is, well, at the end of the day, if I'm able to monetize this and they are not, I'm able to dedicate more time to the project than they are. And that helps to, to keep on improving the project, to make it more difficult for others to end up copying the whole thing. Because you can spend much more time on them, much more resources. I can hire people if I need. But yeah, there are other components providing a similar functionality that are free. But that's good as well. In fact, I think one of the points in time where I was improving full page most was when I found another component that was getting traction and it was also free. So I saw it as a kind of like a competence. And then I tried to add the features that component had into my component as well, like you said. And this way I was able to finally overcome that competitor because I kept on working on it and the other person stopped. Yeah, I feel like that fear and concern too, Richard, goes back to the fundamental question as well as to like, what is the cost and value of open source software, right? Like the fear that comes into that question is if my idea is out in the world, somebody else will take it and they'll make money off of it in a way that takes away from my ideas. And yeah, that plays out in business sometimes, but I think when it comes to software and building on things, we see even more frequently what people are willing to invest doesn't equally balance always like I'm getting something. It's the free puppies versus free beer question. And what I see as the business model here is you're not just getting the software, you are getting support. You are getting like, there is a software business model around this in addition to monetizing on open source core components. That's not unfamiliar. It's not unfamiliar in asking customers to pay for something they don't even know what to do with. Like it's pretty familiar to ask people to pay for this kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a good point because also whenever you use some open source project, you might always be kind of afraid that the project end up getting unmaintained or the developers stop working on it. And then you don't get updates, you don't get support of any kind. So when you have somebody creating something and charging for it, and you know that person is able to live out from this, that gives you the security in some way that you are going to have somebody backing you up in case that you have issues or because that you need support and new features or whatever. So I think that provides clients a bit more security in that sense. Okay, cool. That puts my fears to rest. Thank you very much. I'm glad. And it sounds like you're on top of it, which is the best. Following that, what I'm curious about is... You've been doing this for a few years now. You said you're the main person getting paid. What's difficult for you? What's hard right now? I guess sometimes it's a bit difficult to keep up to date with new technologies because I was focusing on... Well, I, I started making it a, a jQuery plugin. I was learning jQuery. In fact, it was a component that I did in order to keep on learning. And then I moved it to vanilla JavaScript. And now new frameworks appear, Angular, then React, then Vue now we have all the things on top of those like Next or Nuxt. So it's a bit difficult to keep up to date with all of those new technologies and then keep on maintaining it and adding features and also providing support and also trying to, to create new projects because I might not want to dedicate full time to this single project and I might want to expand to other things or even create new extensions or, you know. So I think that's the most difficult thing for me. Keep up to date with new technologies that are emerging and keep on 
maintaining the, the whole ecosystem. So that's why sometimes I find like a good alternative is hiring somebody to do some specific tasks, hiring some expert on React or Vue or whatever, and they can help me to improve the components a bit better because I might not have the time or the knowledge to learn every technology and to keep things up to date. It makes a lot of sense. That's one of the things I often wonder. I mean, I saw Angular rise as well fall, and now like my Angular cred is kind of gone. That was, I mean, I, Angular one was good. Angular two came out, and it's like I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Uh, I sort of just jumped ship and started learning React. So it, it is really interesting to watch the change and then think, well, how is this going to influence my trajectory or my goals for my various projects? Well, hiring someone is a really good idea. I can add as well that I also had issues with uh, support. It was taking some big portion of the you know, of the day. And then I ended up hiring somebody as well to deal with the support part-time. They can take a couple of hours a day to answer emails, answer people and so on. So I think that's also helped. I wonder when talking about the different changes and growth and adaptations, specifically in the JavaScript and the web community. And do you feel like all of these kind of challenges and the difficulties since you've moved to monetization are any of those specific to JavaScript? Like, do you feel like if you were in a different kind of open source project or community or you weren't focused on web, one, is that even possible to have that business model not in this community and for this tech stack? And then two, are these kind of monetization challenges like really unique to those? Well, I would say probably it's easier to monetize other kind of projects because JavaScript is every this is client side, everybody can access the code no matter what. They can modify, they can use it without the license. The license that I use doesn't have a connection with any server side to check the license uh, number and so on. So whenever you are making, for example, a backend projects, well, that might be more common. You send a query to server, you check the license key, you verify things. So I think probably it's easier to monetize other kind of projects. And I'd probably say that the monetizing JavaScript is quite a challenge. In fact, when I started, there were very few people out there doing it. Now I can see a bit more, but I, I wouldn't say it's one of the easiest fields. I'm curious about your strategy. You mentioned filing taxes. It's boring, but you have to do it. What sort of processes do you have in place? What sort of support do you have to enable you to figure out how to deal with all your invoicing, et cetera? Yeah. So I basically, I'm using the same platform that the guy that I told you about before, DeSandro, he used to use in order to sell his own components. So it's called Gumroad. I think it's quite nice because it allows you to charge people worldwide and then you get paid every week. So instead of having, I don't know, hundreds of invoices to deal every month with, you only have to invoice this platform like four times a month and that's it. And they are the ones dealing with the taxes and the VAT in Europe and so on. I didn't know Gumroad could be used for software. So that's news to me. It's a good platform. I think looking forward, so you mentioned that you have some other projects which are like going forth. Fullpage.js obviously started at your former employer. Someone said, hey, I have this problem. Can you fix it for me? That's why you're here. And they're like, yeah, I can fix it for you. And then you made it open source. So I'm curious, what other projects are you looking for? And are they all kind of clones of Fullpage or are you exploding out creatively in some other way? Yeah, well, I keep on having new ideas for different kinds of extensions or new features that I want to implement. But apart from that, I'm also trying to 
diversify a bit and uh, work on different projects. So I created one that is kind of related with full page. It's kind of like an editor for full page and it's called fullsnap.io. It's kind of like a little weeks where you can play and create full page websites. But I got a bit burned out during the pandemic working on it. And then I stopped and I haven't really marketed too much. There are a few bugs here and there that I want to solve. And then I'm planning to put a bit more time on it. Apart from that, I also created an analytics tool for the selling platform that I'm using from Gamroad. It's called fullstats.io. And well, apart from that, I have other ideas that I would like to be working on. They haven't really materialized yet. So I'm curious, these both look like very entrepreneurial ideas, which is great. And it makes a lot of sense because you're an entrepreneur and you know you started your own company about this project. But the original project wasn't monetized from the get-go. It took you a while to realize you could monetize it. And I'm wondering, when you think about a new project, are you noticing how the desire to monetize the open source project or whether or not to make it open source from the beginning is influencing the nature of what you can think you can do creatively? Well, I guess the problem is you cannot keep on creating free stuff forever because when you release a project and you make it open source, it's not just releasing it, just leaving it there. You have to keep on maintaining it if people uh, ask you for a request or they have issues or bugs or whatever. So it takes time. So it's not easy to keep on creating free stuff. So I think the fact that you can monetize something makes it easier to maintain as well and to improve. So whenever I think about new projects, it's true. Maybe I try to focus more on the monetization aspect as well. But I also have a few that I think that I can start providing for free and then see if there's interest in the community and see. I think the providing something for free, it's a very nice way in order to validate a product as well, just to see if there's enough interest or not. So after doing that, then you can decide if you want to have kind of like a freemium plan or, or just keep it free forever. Or... I like that. Have you thought about dual licensing your project specifically, not just the add-ons, but the project itself? Well, yeah, the project is a dual license. So you have a GPL okay. version three, and then you can pay for the commercial license if you want to use it in non-GPL compatible software. So that's I, how I monetize the main components. Okay, cool. Yeah. Missed that exact definition. Makes a lot of sense to me, although I think some of our listeners are definitely hardcore open, hardcore open source people and would say that's not open source. Amanda? To be clear, the new GPL version 3 is an open source license under the OSI definition. But what it requires, because it's copyleft, it requires that if you use GPL 3, anything derivative based off of that also must be GPL version 3 and must be open sourced. So it is open source. It just has more restrictions around what happens after you use it. So I want to be super clear that when we say open source, this is open source. This is an open source license. It's covered under open source, but it is a copyleft and copyleft has different restrictions and some other license like MIT and like Apache. So I want to make sure like super clear, like this is open source. This is an open source model. This is part of the open source community. This isn't something separate. Yeah. So the main characteristic of it, I guess, is that it's kind of sticky, right? So whenever you use GPL3, like kind of you have to implement GPL3 in, in your other projects around it. Always learning more. Cool. Thank you again, Amanda, for helping out. And thank you, Alvaro, for explaining what's going on there. 
I was going to ask if we can flip the discussion a little bit back into kind of sustainability and so on. Alvaro, what's your view on kind of supporting the software that you're building on? Right? So for example, like Gulp.js or projects that are contributing to the work that you're using, like, do you have a view on that? I just, it's something that I continue to kind of explore within open source projects as much as I do kind of within the uses of open source projects. That's all. So just to explain a little bit, like I've been thinking as difficult as it is to monetize a JavaScript project, it's maybe not as difficult to monetize it as some other projects that might exist in the kind of core of the open source ecosystem, especially when those projects perform like pretty fundamental kind of operations. There's not the same kind of productization that could happen around a certain type of open source project. And as a result, I've been thinking more and more about how maybe these projects that do have these opportunities need to kind of consider supporting their own ecosystem as much as big corporates need to, because they have an opportunity that some others might not. I haven't thought too much about it, but now that you mention it, I think, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fair to, I don't know if my coding contributions would be <laughs> as good as this project might require, but yeah, I'd be happy to contribute monetarily. But sometimes I don't think it's so easy if there is not like a platform in place to, to allow to, to pay the, the creator. Sometimes it's even difficult to know who is the creator because they're kind of hidden or, but yeah, if I know there are some platforms like Patreon or like, uh, well, other platforms that allows you to pay some projects, but it's true that it's not easy to find those in very small pieces of code that might be share or download thousands or millions of times on NPM. But yeah, that, that'd be something good to, to do from my side. Yeah. What I love is that seem to be new, right? Okay. I can contribute back to projects that I use. And so initially I'm really curious. Gulp is one of the main dependencies that you use in your package.json at fullpage.js, right? And you also have a couple other Gulp plugins that you use there. Now, Gulp has an open collective. PyLift also supports Gulp. Like there are various ways of getting money towards Gulp maintainers. Gulp itself uses other dependencies and other projects. And I'm just curious if there was a way for you to pay all the way down the stack, would you be more interested in doing that? Or in just giving money or something or time towards Gulp. Since that idea may be new for you when you're thinking about it, I'm really interested in what you think about this right now for the first time. Well, I don't know how many people might be contributing to the core of Gulp. We are talking about hundreds of people and it doesn't seem easy to help monetarily each of them, right? I'm just checking the Gulp website. I didn't know they made it so easy now to to donate. But yeah, I think probably I'll donate just Gulp instead of the people from individuals contributing to Gulp because that seems a bit more difficult to what to track or to do, right? Cool. Yeah. I think so there are ways and there are tools that are being built right now to try to figure out how to go down the dependency tree and how to figure out how to pay people. And just like to be clear, I kind of feel like we're mugging you in the back alley right now. Like we're not saying you have to contribute time or money. Like, we're not saying that. And no one's listening to this saying he has to do it now because he said it publicly. Like, don't worry about it. This is just something that we think about a lot, right? We think about how do we help maintainers help other maintainers? And how do we 
give credit where credit is due. There are questions we don't ask very often on this podcast. A good one is fullpage.js uses colors. Colors are a big part of having a slider. But we don't talk about should we contribute to W3C or whoever was the person who made the initial spec to decide what colors go into like CSS. Like that's just not something we think about that often. In the same way, I don't think when I go to the shop, oh, I'm going to buy milk, I'm going to pay for the milk, but I'm also going to pay for the person who put down the paving stones on the sidewalk. Like we assume that's covered by taxes or something. So I'm just kind of interested in, in just seeing your opinion here about it. If it was easier, it sounds like it'd be something you'd be interested in contributing to. And Yeah, probably. I think, I, for example, in my case, I would say that, yeah, I have a few contributors here and there, but at the end of the day, I'm the one who cares about providing support to people, about fixing bags, about keeping things tidy. So I don't think providing contribution sometimes is, well, or deserves the same kind of... Like, I don't think providing a contribution is sometimes as relevant as maintaining the whole project as a whole. So perhaps something that I would find more interesting from my point of view is if I have an issue or a bug and I want to solve or I want to implement a new feature, I'd be happy sometimes to pay for somebody to contribute to the project and to help me with this, help me, well, do it better or help me save time on it. So I think that'd be a better way of helping other contributors if I'm the one monetizing the components. That seems more easy to, to do. This is such a hard question. This is fundamentally a question, not just for open source, but for industries and corporations and capitalism in general is that like, what are we owed for our work and what do we owe to each other for the work and the things that we provide? I feel like the question of what are the fundamental business and community models that exist in our capitalist world is still developing. This is the idea of creating something like a B Corp or creating those large governance or nonprofit institutions where it's like you commit to giving a certain percentage back. And that question of how do you help sustain the commons that you draw from is not something that is well decided on yet. So I agree with Richard that not want to ambush you. <laughs> we don't want to feel like we are <laughs> acting in, in any sort of uh, violence or confrontation. This is a nonviolent group, but we appreciate discussing challenging topics. Yeah, it's for sure. Another easy one. Thanks for bringing up the idea of like B Corp and the like. For me, this is also part of the larger question of gift economies versus monetary economies, right? So open source is a lot of times kind of a gift economy where you're giving stuff away and that's okay. And you don't have to give anything back if your grandma gives you a gift. You can just say, thanks, grandma, and then move on. That's all right. You should give your grandma a gift. But it's just kind of interesting to me to see how these two economies are working. And out of it all, what's really great about you is that you had the ability and time and you were the core maintainer to actually launch this and then fund yourself and your work. That's amazing. That's beautiful. It's awesome. Not everyone has the ability to do that and not every project can be monetized effectively. Does that mean that you should give back out of your time and out of your money towards everything else? Or is this a structural issue with open source? Where like structurally, we should find a way to support people and support the small projects. I really like what you said earlier. I don't think providing a contribution is the same as maintaining an entire project. Completely agree with you. I've contributed to IPFS. 
I wrote a few docs that were on their CLI. But I'm in no way working full-time on IPFS anymore. And even when I was, I was not the same as the brilliant people who were coding a decentralized file system. Like, that is just not my Ken. And so it's really interesting to be like, well, should they be paid more or less? And how do we break this down? And so I've really enjoyed talking to you, Elvado, because it's really helped me reframe a bit more how I think about individual entrepreneurs in open source doing awesome work, getting paid for it. And what we can do as an ecosystem to try to enable you and enable others at the same time. I don't think it's an either or situation. So I think that may be a good place to wrap this up for now. Alvaro, before we go on to Spotlight, it's one of my favorite parts of the show where we talk about really cool projects. I want to give you a chance to plug yourself. So if you have any final thoughts or where people can read your final thoughts, do you have a blog, a Twitter? What do you want people to look at today? Now's your time. Well, I like to encourage people to create open source projects because that's an amazing thing we developers can do nowadays. Like you can code something in your house, launch it there. And if people find it useful, then you may be able to, well, or live from it if you are lucky as I am, or at least help others and keep on improving, which is also great. That's what my main motivation when I started this project. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Like whatever you publish, nobody's going to check every line and tell you how bad you did. Probably there is going to encourage you to keep on improving. And that's great. So don't be afraid of publishing stuff in GitHub and let the world know about it. And that's the main idea that I would like to you know, encourage people to, to take. Love that. Thank you so much. You can find Alvaro on Twitter at IMAC2. That's I-M-A-C-2. That's the number two, not spelled out. Also on LinkedIn and the like. We're going to have his notes in the show notes as well. Personal website is Alvaro Trigo. That's A L V A R O T R I G O dot com, which is a beautiful website as well, full page dot js. You can just Google that and it goes right to where you need to go. Alvaro, thank you so much. But don't leave yet. This is Spotlight. We've talked a lot about ourselves and about the ecosystem and open source and what have you and grandmas, I guess. Let's talk now about people who need more love and light shown on them, projects that have helped us out, open source tools that are really great or something fancy that's just really nice that we want to just talk about today. So, Amanda, what is your spotlight today? Yeah, I'm going to go on my streak of book and paper recommendations. So a book that I especially have been reading and rereading with much joy and attention is Kill It With Fire, Managing Aging Computer Systems and Future-Proofing Modern Ones by Marianne Bellotti. And the reason I chose this and I keep coming back to it is this as we talked so much about structural issues and what are structural and systemic issues and how do we think about those, I keep coming back to where and how is open source a legacy system and how do we think about modernizing that in a way that enables it to be reliable and sustainable. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ben Nichols. I'm going to carry on my personal journey of trying to take photos in a dark sky region using open source tooling. My recommendation is ASTAP, the Astrometric Stacking Program, which is image stacker and astromatic plate solver application that you can use if you're taking a series of images and you want to combine them and reduce the noise in them and end up with a nice kind of starscape. So you can do that. And they're also accepting donations. I think it's on PayPal. There you Thank you very much. My spotlight today is turf.js. That's T-U-R-F, not T-E-R-F, T-U-R-F.js. It is an awesome GeoJSON 
like tool. I do a lot of stuff with birding in Vermont.com where I show where birds are using eBird, which is a really awesome citizen science project. If you've heard me talk before, you know this. Turf made some really easy calculations for me. Very, very simple where I have edge cases and it's just easy to implement, easy to use. And I'm really excited about switching to turf in my local code. So thank you, turf.js. What is yours? I'd say probably Hanson Table. HansonTable.com. It's a great open source project that I was very fan of. It's kind of like Excel component that allows you to create these kind of tables with pretty awesome features. So I'm also following the creators in Twitter for a few years and they have been doing some amazing work. So I, I totally recommend taking a look at that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias for the conversation. It's been great. Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, please let us know. Email us at podcast at sustainoss.org. If you have any feedback or future guests, if you're interested in talking to us, we're on Twitter at sustainoss. Please tweet at us all the time. We also have a discourse forum, discourse.sustainoss.org, where we talk about things. And every Friday, we are doing a roundup where we talk about links and things that happened this week in sustain and please feel free to join us for those go to the discourse forum for more please like us on apple Podcasts and spotify this is turning into an insurance commercial for which i am very sorry but really thank you so much and elvano it was the best having you on i really appreciate the work that you're doing keep it up and hope to see you again thanks awesome to be here thank you